you have to be careful when you're using someone else's language. It's, it's hard, and there's idioms you miss, and you can end up uh, trying your best but making a fool of yourself. I, uh, I should know. I have a friend whose mom uh, who's, was taking his girlfriend home to meet his parents for the first time, and he was, was Mexican, and his girlfriend uh, spoke only English, so she tried really hard, and uh, she was so nervous when she walked in, and, and she greeted them with a, with a hearty, uh, estoy embarazada. And uh, those of you who know Spanish know that that means I'm pregnant, uh, which is not how you want to greet your boyfriend's parents. Uh, she meant to say I'm embarrassed, but it just didn't come out quite right. Uh, I know. I, I walked around Cuba with, um, with Raul, and, and I meant to say what I meant to say was I'm very happy to meet you. According to him, I was going around telling everybody, you're very fat. Didn't mean that. That's not what I had in mind, but that's, uh, that's how it came across. You've got to be careful using other people's words. Uh, I, the, the world, uh, the unbelievers in our world, the, the modern culture, they use our words a lot. And uh, they don't mean to, I mean, they do mean to. And it, and it changes, uh, it kind of changes the meaning of it, you know, or they just don't know the meaning at all. I remember listening to my mother gossip on our front porch, and every now and then she would just say, "Woo, that's the gospel truth. And, you know, being a young believer, I would think to myself, no, no, it's not. I mean, the gospel's about Jesus. It's not about this woman's weight problem. I mean, I don't know what you're, you're saying here. Or, um, you know, you'll watch the Olympics, right? And somebody will just blow down the, the track, and they'll run faster than anyone's ever run in the world, and, and they'll stick the microphone in their face and say, how did you do it? And he said, I just believed. I just believed. And you're like, that's all it takes? I thought you had DNA that were really good. I thought you probably trained every day of your life for this moment. I thought, you know, pretty much every meal you ate was aiming to this point. But you're saying that anybody could run that fast? If, all, if I just believe? Of course that's not what they're saying. And I'm not trying to nitpick. Self-confidence is important. It is. If, you go, if you're taking a test, if you're going in for an interview, if you're playing any kind of sport, uh, you know that if you don't think you can, you probably can't. And self-confidence is important. But that is in no way what we Christians mean by the words believe or faith. And it's important to keep those things separate. Faith is actually the opposite of self-confidence. It is the conviction that there is nothing in me to be confident about. And it is throwing ourselves onto another. Um, faith does not mean that if you believe something sincerely enough, good things will happen. And it's important that we keep that in mind. What we mean when we say faith is that we are entrusting ourselves to another who is able and willing to go with us and be good to us no matter where he causes us to go. It's trust in a person. It's trust that he has our, our best intentions in mind even when we don't know where they are. We're studying the book of Daniel, and uh, Daniel is really a guidebook for life in an unbelieving world. It's a, di it's a guidebook for life in a culture that seems strange to you. And the, 
The book was written uh, by uh, the prophet Daniel, and he's describing how life as he uh, grew up in Babylon, surrounded by people of strange language and strange customs. And the first lesson we learned was that in that, la- in that kind of world, you have to keep yourself separate. You have to, to live amongst them and, and live for their good, but you have to maintain your, your spiritual separation so that you're not taken in by their desires and their lusts. And, and in the second, last week, we, we noticed that when you're dealing with fear, Nicodemus, uh, I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar had a terrible dream that caused him to fear. And, and we saw that when we're dealing with fear, we have to remember that God is with us. And that future, fear is really just kind of looking into the future and saying, but, but, but what if, what if, what if? And we always need to tag on to that statement, well, what if God is with you? What if God's grace has gone before you? What if he's waiting for you there? And this week we're going to look at faith, and I think this is the best display of faith in the Bible. And it is a faith that shows us that you might, God might lead you into the fires. He might lead you through deep waters. And that doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. And he promises to be with us. He promises to be with us. Now, we are in Daniel uh, 3, and I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but, but... I'm not going to read the whole story, despite my wife's protests. So uh, let me tell you the story. Nebuchadnezzar has set up a golden idol, a statue of himself. He's gathered together a band. When the band plays music, he wants everybody to bow down and, and kiss the dirt and, and give him obeisance, give him worship. He's not saying you can't worship Yahweh. He's saying just worship me too. That's fine. Worship the nation. Uh, worship Babylon and all the great things that it's done for you. So when you hear this song, we want you to do that. And three uh, young men refused to do it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would worship no other gods but Yahweh alone. And so they're brought forth before Nebuchadnezzar, and that's where we uh, start. Nebuchadnezzar has threatened that he's going to throw them into the fiery furnace if they don't bow down the next time they hear the music. And that's where we start. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent, and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste, and he declared to the counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. 
He answered and said, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. Thus far the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. Faith is entrusting yourself into the hands of the God who has your best interests in mind and believing that no matter where he causes you to go, no matter where he causes you to go, he is there with you and he is for you. What does that mean? First of all, I want to deal with some misunderstandings of faith. Uh, And the most common misunderstanding of faith is that if you believe, good things will happen. If you believe, you will get your goal, your prize, whatever it is. And uh, all I need to do is believe. I just need to have a faith or I need to have enough faith. And we have just enough stories out there kind of dangled in front of us to make us very believable. You know, but if I just believe, then I'll be blessed, like David Green and his business, or Truett Cathy and his business. And, I mean, nobody's more thankful for Chick-fil-A than I am. But, and I am, I'm thankful God has blessed certain businessmen and women and made them incredibly generous, and they are blessings uh, to their employees and to their families and churches and, and to the kingdom of God, and I thank God for that. Um, but for every super hyper-wealthy Christian out there, there is probably 10,000 Christian school teachers and policemen and people in the Army and Navy and Air Force and people who are serving in fire departments, and they're all just barely scraping by. <laughs> they're making it. You know, every, at the end of every month, there's a little celebration when paycheck time comes. And it is not because they're less faithful. It's just where God has caused them to go. And that's, they are exactly where God wants them to go. It's not a blessing that, you know, you're not blessed just because you're faithful with, with boatloads of cash necessarily. Uh, and, you know, we give them the chance. It's not an issue of whether or not, it's not an issue of whether or not you have enough faith. Uh, you know, I, uh, I give God a chance to make me a millionaire every year. I buy one lottery ticket. It's like, Lord, if you want to, here's your chance. So far, so bad, right? <laughs> you know, but that's fine. I'm where he wa- I just want to make sure I'm where he wants me to be. And so, I, I, evidently, I am. Uh, but that does, that's not because I have a lack of faith. Uh, it's not because I don't have enough to, to kind of crank God's jet up and make him work for me. Uh, you know, I mean, think of it like a parent. Think of it like a parent. Um, I would, I've done a lot of things wrong as a parent. <laughs> I, uh, I could write the book, Things Not to Do especially when your kids are young. Uh, I over-disciplined and I over-parented and I made up for it by under-parenting and abandoning them. Uh, not abandoning them, but um, sending them upstairs and promising to never go up there. Um, I, I did a lot of things wrong, but evidently I did one thing right, and that is my kids know they can ask me for pretty much anything and get it. Uh, probably to a fault. Uh, some would say it's not wise to put credit cards in your son's pockets, but, you know, I, I want them to know. Uh, I would hate, I would just hate to find out 
that my kids thought they had to have enough faith, enough obedience, enough brownie points to ask me for anything. And that's how our Lord feels about us. And we tend to believe we have to put enough faith nickels in the machine to get it to, to click and give us what, what we need. And, and he tells us, I loved you when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. What do you think you're going to do for me? Ask me and you'll receive. Just ask. Faith is not magic. It's not if you have enough, you get what you want. Faith is trusting a person. The converse of, of this misunderstanding is even worse. The belief that if bad things happen to you, it's because you've done something wrong or you don't have enough faith. Um, that's very common. I think a lot of Christians would look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and go, man, they did something wrong or they wouldn't have ended up in that fiery furnace. They had, they, if, if they were really Christians, if they were doing it right, if they believed, they wouldn't be there. And that's just not true. And it's important for you to understand it's not true. Or you get guilt heaped upon your bad fortunes. Sometimes God calls us to go through hard times. You don't need to feel guilty about that. (laughs) If you're ever driving through East Tennessee uh, on a Sunday, and you think, oh, it's Sunday, I need to go to church somewhere. uh, And you see a sign that says, has these words, no matter what the other words are. It could be, you know, first church of living, uh, sunshine, whatever. But if you see these words, and signs following, do not go in. Signs following churches are churches based on Mark 16, where uh, Jesus promises his disciples that uh, if they, after they receive the Holy Spirit, these signs will be following, you will take up snakes and not be bitten. And to prove that they have the Holy Spirit, they have snakes in cages. And occasionally, people get bitten and die. There's a famous case of a, of a pastor who forced his wife in to the cage to see if she'd been committing adultery. And what do you know? She got bit, and she died. And NPR did a piece on that, that particular church, and they asked the pastor, so what's, <laughs> what's going on here? And he says, these immortal words, if you stick your hand in a snake's cage and it bites you, Something's wrong. I think we can all agree with that. If I'm in church and I'm sticking my hand in a snake's cage, something's wrong. Or, like, buddy, you are. That's an understatement of the year. But we kind of believe that, don't we? If I had enough faith, then God wouldn't ask me to go through a divorce court or a hospital or a cancer ward. I must have done something wrong. And we all, I mean, God wants so badly for you to understand that that's not true, that he put a huge book right in the middle of the Bible where you can't miss it, called Job. Job has one message. That is that righteous people suffer. And we hate that message so much, we don't read it. <laughs> we just skip right over it. And, and even, the, the, even the, the life of Jesus isn't enough to convince us. I mean, if anybody did it right, it was Jesus. If anybody had enough faith, it was Jesus. 
And Jesus was homeless. He had nowhere to lay his head. He was poor. He couldn't pay the temple tax. The only way he could pay it was for Peter to go catch a fish, which is a very weird story. The, uh, he, he prayed to God so passionately that, that drops of sweat hit the ground, and he did not get what he prayed for. And he went to the cross and suffered a, a shameful, painful death. And all the people around him were saying the exact same things that you would say if you'd been there. God must not love him because he would not have put him up here. That can't be God's son. And we believe that somewhere deep down in our heart, and we've got to rip that out. It's not true. A, master, a servant is not greater than his master, Jesus says. You're my servants. If I suffer, you will suffer too. But be of good cheer. I've come overcome the world. He does not promise us that we won't suffer. He promises to be with us the fourth man in the furnace. Those are the misconceptions about faith. And what, what is faith? What is it? Faith starts out, obviously, with believing that God exists. Uh, believing that God exists. Uh, the, the book of Hebrews says, without faith it's impossible to tr- uh, please God, for the one who pleases God has to believe that he exists and reward those who earnestly seek him. Uh, you have to, that, that sounds dumb, right? You're in church. Clearly you believe God exists. Um, but I think a lot of us live day to day like atheists. We worry like atheists. We put our faith in ourselves like atheists. We judge others like atheists. We don't live as though we are the, the, the precious children who have received grace from, from the Lord on high, and we're not extending that grace to everybody else, and we're not trusting it in the day by day in the way that we're living. We're just, we live like people who are on a high wire, and we're afraid to, to fall off. Uh, and it's believing not only that he exists, but that he can act. Believing that he can act, and he can actually change this world. He could actually do something in this world. My, uh, my systematics professor, Douglas Kelly, uh, when I was in uh, seminary, the question came up. Uh, he used to always sit around with uh, uh, the students on Thursdays. We would go up and eat lunch with him. And one of the questions came up about what, what makes people the angriest. And uh, he said, the angriest I ever made people when I was preaching was when I was preaching on creation. He said, I was preaching in a small church in Dillon, South Carolina, and, and they would be lined up to argue with me. And he said, I think it's because... Most people want to keep God in this realm of imagination, in this realm of inspiration, realm of tradition. You know, he's, your, he's what you believe in, and he makes things better for you. But they don't really want to believe that he could affect the material world. I know that's true. I know people won't believe that. I, uh, a few years ago, there was a candidate running for president, and he was speaking at a school, you know, kind of trying to be winsome with all these children. And, and a mom in the school had set him up. She, she gave her daughter this question to take to him. And her daughter stood up and said, how old is the earth? I mean, you know, no, no third grader is going to come up with that. She, he was set up. 
And he began to say, no one really knows for sure. Some people believe that the earth is here by chance and that it's, you know, super ancient. And others, like me, believe that the Lord created the earth. And I don't know exactly when he created it, so it's a hard question to answer. And the writer of this editorial I was reading said this, he has disqualified himself from being president by that answer. If he believes that God can act in the material world, he cannot be our president. I think a lot of us kind of implicitly believe that, that God can't affect this world. If he exists, he exists kind of in our minds. He exists in the same world that Peter Pan and Tinkerbell exist, in the world of imagination. And faith is believing that he is real, that he can affect this world. And and furthermore, faith is then entrusting yourself to him. It is putting your weight on him. It is a realization that I am not enough. I can never be good enough. I can never be faithful enough. I can never be kind enough. I can never be loving enough. I can never be what I ought to be, and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him with my life, with my finances, with my marriage, with my children, with their future, with my future. I'm entrusting myself to him. That's faith. I heard a story of a missionary who uh, was serving in South America, and he's trying to translate the Bible into their language. And the problem was they had no abstract words. They only had concrete words. And so a word like faith, he was just having an impossible time translating it. And it's kind of hard to translate the New Testament if you don't have anything for faith. And so uh, he, just, he was working, and he was working, and they were out. He, he was spending every moment he could with them to to learn as many words as possible. So he was out working in the fields one day with them. And when they came in for lunch, he saw several of the men throw themselves on the ground uh, under a shade tree. And a light came on in his head. He turned to the guy next to him. He said, what's that word? What did they just do? That's what faith means. It's throwing yourself upon another. It's giving yourself up to another. And it's actually trusting him. Faith doesn't mean that God is our mascot. Faith means that we are trusting him. That's a hard thing. Uh, Billy Graham used to tell the illustration, um, you know, back in the 50s, huge, or earlier than that even, in the 20s and 30s, a huge uh, way that people would get entertainment, back before television when they were sad and lonely people, uh, they would actually go out and look at humans doing crazy things, you know. And, so, and one of the big things was uh, walking on high wires. And these were the days without a net, right? And, and one guy was walking over waterfalls. And he would come into your town, and if you had a waterfall, and he, would, he would set up a, a wire over it, or if you had two buildings, wherever you could get it, and he would set the wire up, and he'd walk back and forth. And then he'd gra- grab a wheelbarrow, and he'd walk back and forth. And then he'd load the wheelbarrow up with bricks, and he'd walk back and forth. And then in every town that he went to, he would say, Who believes that I could carry a person in this wheelbarrow across this line? And a lot of people would raise their hand. And then he'd say, Who wants to get in that wheelbarrow? That's, that's, that really is what Jesus asked. Are you going to actually... Put your life in my hands. Are you going to trust me to be there for you? That is the nature of faith. And I warn you not to just go around throwing your your 
personhood, your identity, yourself, upon everything. You need to really study the object of our faith. And the object of our faith is not nothing. It is the, the living God. It wasn't Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going, you can throw me in a furnace if you want to, it won't hurt me. Their, their trust was in God. Oh, oh, king, we have no need to answer you in this. Our God exists. He is real. And he can save us from that fire. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship your gods. What are they saying? That, that's an incredible sentence. Even if he doesn't, whatever our God does, it's for our good, and we trust him. Even if he doesn't. I have a friend who, when she was, uh, when she was a young girl in high school, uh, her youth minister was Ligon Duncan, for those of you who know that name. And uh, he was a pretty good youth minister. And he, uh, she asked him one day, she goes, Lig, I just, I just don't know what I think about this hell thing. How could a loving God create hell? And he was a very wise youth minister, and he said to her, Nancy, I don't know either. But let me ask you a question. Who's wiser, you or God? And she said, well, God knows a lot of things I don't know. Yeah, me too. Who is holier, you or God? God's never sinned, and I sin every day. Obviously, God's holier. Who's more loving, you or God? God loves us so much he gave us his son. He clearly loves more. He said to her, Nancy, if God is wiser and holier and more loving than us, don't you think we can trust him? Even with questions we can't answer. I, I don't know why God has led us to the places that he's led us. I don't know why some of us seem to prosper every time we turn around. I've got, I've got a friend who tells me I have the spiritual gift of falling backwards into grace. And some of us, it seems no matter what we do, there's just suffering waiting upon us. But I know that God is wiser, more gracious, and kinder than we can ever imagine. And we can trust him. We can trust him. His promise is not that we'll never go into the furnace. That's why we had the call to worship that we use today. His promise is not that we'll never find ourselves in deep water. His promise is not that we'll never find ourselves in the furnace. His promise is not that you'll never find yourself in the funeral home. The promise is not that you'll never find yourself bailing your kid out of jail. The promise is not that you'll never be in the divorce court. The promise is not that you'll never be in the cancer ward. The promise is... I will be with you. And when Nebuchadnezzar looks down, he sees four men in the furnace, and one is likened to the Son of God. I will be with you. Jesus' final words on this earth to his disciples were, Lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I will be with you. My brother, um, when he was alive, he had to make a decision about buying a business, and he had never done anything like that. He'd been a salesman, but he had never had his own business. And it was going to require mortgaging his house and taking out this huge business loan, and, and he was just, he was so nervous. And uh, 
everybody said it was a good idea. It wasn't risky. His accountant said, if you don't do this, then I'm going to buy it. Uh, his father-in-law was the one selling it to him. He's like, I promise you can, you can do this. But Tommy was just terrified. And he said, I'm going to go into my prayer closet, and I'm not coming out till God tells me what to do. And I, being a good Presbyterian, said, Tommy, that's not how God works. He did it anyway. He came out of his prayer closet, and I was with him on the phone. I said, well, what did God tell you? I'm just waiting to, you know, tell him he was wrong. And he said, God told me, if you buy that business, I'll be with you. And if you don't buy that business, I'll be with you. And I said, Tommy, that sounds like Jesus. He's with us. Is that enough? Do you believe that? It's hard. I want you to know it's hard. I crawl out of that wheelbarrow every stinking day. But he's with us. Even when we have terrible faith, even when we have no faith, he's with us. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for being with us. When we pass through the waters, you are with us. Even in the flaming, fiery furnace, you are with us. And I pray that you would reveal yourself, that you are that kind of God, the kind of God that we can trust, the kind of God that we can cast ourselves upon. Would you give us the grace to do that right now? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.